everybody. Welcome to a year ago today. It's a podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Tyla Fowler, and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to be here with me in this energy. It's so special to share these conversations with you. This week I'm talking to my dear friend Lucy Trower about her experience training for the last year as a Montessori educator, and I thought this was a really beautiful conversation. I got a lot from it, and I know that you will too. If you want to follow Lucy on her journey, I'm going to put her Instagram handle in the show notes. I'm also going to put our Instagram handles in the show notes, so follow the podcast, follow my personal handles, interact with me. Um, help me feel like I'm not living in a vacuum, <laughs> which is how I sometimes feel creating this podcast. And really, I just want to talk to you. I want to know what these episodes bring up for you and what's activated for you, what's triggered for you, what you're learning, what you're thinking about. It's really, really fun for me to receive that feedback. So please don't hesitate to reach out. If you want to email me, you can email a year ago podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and if you haven't yet taken the opportunity to rate and review us on iTunes, please go do that. It really helps. And how does it help, you ask? I don't really know. There's like algorithms involved. But basically, the more people that review us on iTunes, the more likely we are to get, uh, the easier it is to attract an audience, I guess. I don't know. Who knows how these things work? Technology yada yada blah blah blah. Uh, Another thing that really helps is if you share this episode or any other episode that you've really enjoyed in your social networks or text a link directly to a friend or two friends or ten friends. Two friends or ten friends. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's all. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm excited to share it with you and I will talk to you later. Now we're going. Okay, we're going. (laughs) All right, so Lucy, yes. if you wouldn't mind, if you could finish the sentence and let everybody know why we're here. Mm-hmm. So the sentence begins, a year ago today, I X, Y, Z. Gotcha. Um, a year ago today, I was accepted into a Montessori training program, and I began my commitment to supporting the development of young children. Oh, I love that. I have so many questions. (laughs) And before I start asking them, I want to invite you to close your eyes. And if it feels good to put a hand on on your heart or a hand on your womb space as you take a couple deep breaths, feel free to do that. And I invite you to really allow yourself to feel your way back to a year ago today, to Mm. all that was present for you as you entered into this new commitment. And when you feel like you've really landed in that energy, if you could share with me in one word how you were feeling. Mm, I think I was feeling intimidated. 
Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody has ever used that one before. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's start there. Tell me about that. Well, um, it was just such a huge sort of change in my life to shift into this sort of field. And I really resisted it for a very long time, both consciously and sort of unconsciously. Um, and um, I realized as I sort of unpacked those, that resistance, I realized that it was sort of this feeling of anxiety and inadequacy. I think I just thought about the idea of working with children as being so such a huge responsibility and such an important thing. And I was feeling so insecure in myself and so um, overwhelmed by that possibility that I was just sort of questioning whether I was worthy of it um, in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that decision to sort of do that was sort of a challenging one. It was kind Mm -hmm. of a test of my own capacity to, to be selfless and to, um, really devote so much of my energy to this greater purpose. Mm. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> before we even get further into it, I want to thank you for taking the leap that you have. You know, yeah. I don't know too much about Montessori. However, what I, what I was reading in preparation for this conversation, I was like, oh my God, Lucy's doing the most important work in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes. It's such, it mm. feels such like such small work when you're with the individual children, but just the greater scope of it is really, it's, it's really, the Montessori talks about um, having this view of the child that is not there yet and sort of that like potential and possibility for each child. Mm. And it sort of keeps in mm. mind that like global perspective of, you know, a greater possibility for the world. Oh, mm. <laughs> all right. So I feel eager to give people a little bit more context mm-hmm. for your unique experience. Can you sure. share with me a little bit like what you were doing in your life before you made the decision to apply mm-hmm. to Montessori training and then kind of what it was that inspired you to apply and and maybe a little bit more about, you know, the philosophy of what Montessori is sure. and you just shared a little, but of course. Um, well, I should start by saying that both my parents were Montessori teachers, um, mm. and my mother now is a Montessori trainer, so she trains teachers um, at the primary level, which is three- to six-year-olds, which is what I'm studying. So it's always been in my family, um, mm-hmm. and I went to Montessori school. I really enjoyed it. I really remember it. Um, I feel like it sort of prepared me for life more than any other experience I've had. Mm, that's um, so interesting because I feel like when I think back to school, I'm like, my my educational experience didn't prepare me for much. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> that's true of a lot of people. And I think that's the thing about Montessori that's so interesting is that it's so nurturing and individual. And um, I might be getting a little ahead of myself. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of always been in, in my family. And, um, and what that sort of brought to my experience was... Um, I always felt very connected to my parents and talking about my experiences with people because they are interested in humans and development and the way, you know, psychology and all of that, because that's a huge part of the Montessori um, philosophy. So 
a lot of my life was spent, you know, talking to them about things, about the world and about people and about, you know, humanity. And, and that sort of instilled in me this interest in people and this desire to sort of know more about um, what makes us humans and why we are the way we are. Um, but I sort of resisted getting into the field sort of because I don't know why it was maybe it was a little bit of a rebellion my parents were always always said you know oh you would make a wonderful teacher you should always think about maybe (laughs) doing that Um, but they also said you know that's something you can do anytime in your life and a lot of people Mm -hmm. find Montessori from a variety of different fields and anything you do kind of informs it so I wound up going into studying fashion design in college I was really interested in art and design And I think it was that interest in people that sort of drove me towards fashion. I was really curious about, you know, how does what we wear inform who we are and vice versa. Mm, Um, I love that question. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating. And I always felt like really connected to clothes, (laughs) like from a very, very young age. Like what I wore was so important to me, not really in an aesthetic sense, but in a sort of emotional sense, like how it made me Mm -hmm. feel. Um. And, like, I remember events in my life, even from childhood, based on what I was wearing for some reason. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, so I went into fashion. Um, I really loved school. It was so creative. I got to explore that psychological aspect and make things with my hands. And it was really satisfying. And then I went into fashion design after school. And I found myself totally detached from it in a, um, like, um, you know, in terms of a career, in terms of work, um, there mm-hmm. was no creative satisfaction. It didn't feel, uh, I just didn't feel connected to it. It didn't feel important. Um, and I really struggled with that for a few years, sort of in my mind, it was like, oh, I had to find my place in that world. And I kept looking mm-hmm. and I kept looking and I couldn't find it. And, you know, I quit my job and I tried freelancing to try a bunch of new things. And I just felt totally detached from it. So I decided to take some time away from it, and I wound up working mm. at a restaurant um, for about a year and a half, and it was a really interesting time in my life. Um, it was really valuable. It was really difficult, but I feel like I learned so much about myself. I, for the first time, wasn't working in fashion. I was making friends outside of that world. I was sort of reconnecting with who I was as an individual rather than within that context of fashion. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. Um, But after about a year of that, I, you know, those sort of feelings of anxiety of what's next of, am I going to keep doing this forever? Do I get back into fashion? Do I look for something else? Um, It was really, yeah, it brought out a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. that I didn't always handle well, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was around that time that my mother, um, reached out to me and she had a friend in her, when she took the Montessori training, who was a really dear friend of hers who wound up later in life becoming a life coach. Mm, that's um, interesting. Yeah. She said, you know, she loved the Montessori training and the philosophy, but she found the practice of it really difficult it's a really demanding job, um, and sometimes being that lone human in a classroom of 30 children can just overwhelm you. It's not really for everyone, mm-hmm. even as much as you might love the theory behind it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, being around children, <laughs> yeah, being around children is can be so challenging mm-hmm. in and of itself because number one, they have so much energy, mm-hmm. and number two, they're such amazing little mirrors. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it can be so activating to be in the presence of a child That's, who is reflecting you yeah. to you in a way that good and feel bad. Good. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so true. Um, yeah. yeah, and I would imagine that. You know, from from the little I've read about Montessori, that it really is something that demands that you as the teacher be in full presence because essentially you're holding you're holding sacred space mm-hmm. for those kids. That's exactly it. You're creating the environment that they need to um, sort of self-create. And it's your job mm-hmm. to sort of sit back and let that happen while knowing exactly where they are and observing them and knowing what they need next and sort of mm-hmm. my trainer describes it as like feeding from the periphery, just kind of like mm. giving them what they need without getting in their way. Um, yes. It's really, it's yes, really yes. demanding. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. As you talk about that and I'm thinking about my own coaching practice and how I work with clients, it's like what you just described mm-hmm is exactly what I've been moving into. It's yeah. like, I'm not meant to be the star of the show. I'm meant to be on the periphery, um, supporting you and illuminating your own experience mm-hmm. so that you can find your way, you know, rather than handing somebody the answers. Yes, that's exactly true. Even if you know the answers. Yeah, even if you see where they need to be, it's sort of a, they have to get there on their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your mom reached out to you. Yeah, so she reached out to me um, and sort of said, I know you're struggling and wondering what to do next. And, um, I want to support that. And I know that, you know, it's a hard thing to talk to your family about sometimes, even though I'm very close to my parents. So she, mm. she's such an enlightened, wonderful woman. Um, but she, um, she's, <laughs> Yay, Mom. Yeah, she's the best. Um, so she said, I have this friend and I'd like to, as a gift, um, get you some sessions with her. So, mm. We spoke on the phone mostly. Um, we emailed a little bit, but we spoke on the phone. Um, I think it was like once every two weeks for like four or five months. And it was a really um, challenging experience um, that I don't think I realized how much I got out of it until months later. Um mm-hmm. But in that moment, it was a really uh, vulnerable kind of revealing experience to talk to this stranger on the phone and feel so seen by her and so heard by her, Um, but sort of in a way that she somehow managed to distill how I was feeling into like very specific elements that I didn't even realize were there. She sort Mm -hmm. of saw past all of the like doubt and confusion and um, uncertainty that I had to just some key things to work on. Yeah, outside of, you know, I don't know, she just sort of saw through everything and got to the essence of, you know, it sounds like you need a purpose. It sounds like you're too hard on yourself. It sounds, you know, she sort of saw those things and called them to my attention. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we talked about words of affirmation and, and being kind to yourself and, um, and also like not waiting to move forward with your life, not waiting till you feel ready, not waiting till you get a sign, you know, um, Mm -hmm. 
And very early on, she sort of discovered that I was interested in working with children in some capacity. Um, and she also helped me discover that I was holding on to working in fashion, not because I necessarily wanted to work in it, but because um, choosing to leave it behind felt like a failure. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's such a tough industry and I, I had all these feelings of, oh, well, if I don't continue trying and try to persevere, then, you know, that says something about my character that I gave up or that I'm weak or that I couldn't make it or something. When I really realized that it was sort of more courageous to leave it behind and more important and more powerful for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's such a common theme mm-hmm. for a lot of people that feeling of if I abandon this path that I chose for myself, I am a failure. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so liberating to ground into the truth that like, actually the biggest success is to continue to follow your inner guidance regardless of how yeah. you might be perceiving it. You yeah. know, it's like you can't know how all of these things are going to eventually tie together in service of your ultimate purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. true. And I also just felt like I, like the thing that I, um, I kept telling my dad this for some reason when we would talk about like life and what I was missing and what I felt, um, why I felt so sort of lost in life, um, at that time. And a lot of it was that I felt like I'd lost my sense of courage mm-hmm. and my ability to be courageous. And I felt that felt like so much of, um, I didn't realize that I identified in that way. And then I felt like a courageous person in my life. Um, until I'd sort of like lost that feeling. Mm-hmm. So to sort of regain that and, um, you know, taking this leap felt like I was taking control again and making mm-hmm. those difficult choices um, where I actually felt more safe. Mm-hmm. So It's so incredible that like in making that move that maybe on the surface looks um, irresponsible or foolish, mm-hmm. you know, to like, totally jump from one track to another in terms of the path that you're pursuing Mm -hmm. that that's actually where you are able to rediscover I mean when you were talking I was like the phrase that's coming up for me is like when you get to that point where you're like I don't know who I am anymore and I have lost parts of myself yes absolutely and that it's only in like quote-unquote abandoning the path that I had chosen Mm -hmm. that I'm actually able to rediscover and re- revitalize those parts of me absolutely and I'd found that to be true in so many moments in my life like when I like quit fashion and just worked at a restaurant like I discovered so much about myself in just changing my perspective and being around new people and um I was like I haven't made friends like it was the first time I'd made friends in like eight years I was like whoa (laughs) I know how to make friends I forgot (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like oh I am and I sort of in the like I'm such an extrovert, so I really um, reconnect with myself when I connect with other people, um, mm-hmm. and in that sort of experience of of making new friends and being in a new environment, I sort of saw myself through their eyes and and remembered um, like sort of who I was through that experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> so just life journey. coach. Yeah. So she, by the end of our conversation, she was like it sounds like you want to apply for this training. And 
I had all these doubts about it. I was like, I'm not ready. I don't feel psychologically or emotionally or physically at my best. And I feel like so intimidated by the idea of doing this because um, it feels like such an honor and such a um, important choice to make. And she was just kind of like, there's no time but the present. There's no reason to put this off. You know, I talked about maybe putting it off for a year and working <laughs> yeah, working on myself, you know what I mean? Which, of course, was just like <laughs> the fear in me saying, like, don't do this right now. It's too scary. Um, mm-hmm. And she was like, just go for it. And then that was sort of the last session we had together. Um, and I sort of continued to resist for a little bit. And then eventually, you know, I talked to my mom about it and she was like, the training process for this work is so transformative. Mm. Um, And it's, you don't have to think of it like a commitment. You don't have to think of it like when you come out of it, you have to become a teacher. She was like, you know, just do it. I think you'll get a lot out of it and you'll enjoy it and you'll learn about yourself. And if by the end of it, you don't want to be a teacher, then you don't have to and you can do whatever else you Mm. want. And sort of that freedom to leap into it without any commitment sort of helped. Um, And also just the realization that, you know, the process itself would sort of prepare me in a lot of ways. um, Mm -hmm. That's such gorgeous advice. Yeah. I think she, you know, it is a really spiritual training. It's a really, I mean, the education method itself is so holistic and it's about, you know, Montessori called it education as an aid to life. and I think the training really mirrors that. It's about how do you prepare yourself as a human to do this work, not just as like an intellectual person. Um, so I, I applied. I got in. I was still totally terrified. Um, not only to do the training, but to leave my home and go from New York to Minnesota and be away from everyone I loved and cared about. And um, <laughs> that felt like a huge leap. but. But also a nice sort of, um, you know, it felt nice to have that experience be completely separate in a completely new environment. Um, so even though I was afraid and intimidated, a lot of a big part of me looked forward to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I know that feeling where yeah. you're like terrified out of your mind and you also can't wait. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Exactly. I think I felt that way, like, any time I was about to go on a spiritual yeah. retreat, like, with a with a coach or a group of women, yeah. you know, I'm always like, oh, my God, I know this transformation is going to be so huge, and I'm so excited, and I'm also so scared, and oh, that is yeah. always, like, I don't, I feel like he doesn't always understand the level of fear that I feel in advance of those mm-hmm. things, that's I'm so like, funny. you don't understand, I'm going to be a different person when I come back. I know, well, that's what I kept saying, and I... And Mason was the same way. He was like, you're going to be great. Everyone's going to love you. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, yeah, but it's it's going to be so intense. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But also, I just feel like anything that I've ever done that has been worthwhile and that I've really gotten something out of, I've been totally terrified of. So I kept mm-hmm. reminding myself of that and sort of reminding myself that, like, the fear was a good thing and the fear – a lot of yeah, it's funny. A lot of my intimidation about it and my trepidation and my fear that I wasn't like worthy of it. Mason kind of summed it up for me a little bit. He was talking about um how his teachers, any teachers he's ever had, never seemed to really care that much. And they weren't totally invested and they seemed detached and he was like, Oh, the fact that you're so afraid means that you're you care a lot and that will 
bring a lot of, you know, weight to what you do. And, and, um, I sort of tried to remember that, that like the fear is sort of a motivator. It's sort of always been a motivator for me in my life, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that helps me rise to the occasion sort of, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's this, um, there's this principle that I have really been deepening into lately is to identify where your fear or discomfort lies and then go there. Yes, absolutely. It's always the place that has the most, the word that's coming through is fertile. It's like the most fertile ground for growth. That's so true. Well, and I want to know, is that like analogous to how you hold space in the classroom? Like what? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have so many questions. I'll tell you what they are. First, (laughs) I want to hear, I want to hear more about your training and I want to hear about the spiritual and the practical aspects of that Mm -hmm. and how you feel you've been transformed. And then I also want to know about holding space for children's fear and discomfort. Ooh, great question. So whichever order you feel called. Mm, um, can I begin with a little bit of like a context of Montessori? Do you think that would be helpful? Oh, I think that would be greatly okay. helpful. Please do. <laughs> um, so I like to sort of describe the Montessori method in a little bit of a historical context because I think it gives a little perspective on how the method came to be and what it sort of represents. Um, Essentially, Maria Montessori was a female doctor in Italy. I think she was the first woman to be admitted to um, study medicine at the University of Rome. And okay, well, I already love everything about that. She was kind of amazing. <laughs> she was very, um, she was very involved in like social rights movements, and she really advocated for children. And um, she got sort of involved in working with. Um, she was very interested in psychiatry and psychology, and she got involved in working with um, children with special needs um, uh, in the early 1900s and sort of, you know, studied them and worked with them and developed different tools and materials. And she came to believe that um, they were sort of underrepresented and under um, supported in the community. Um, so that was sort of her beginning journey in working with children. And then in 1906, I believe, she came to be involved in a um, this sort of slum in a part of Rome um, called, I think it was called San Lorenzo, um, and it was this building that had been sort of abandoned, and all these um, poor families were living in it, and while the parents went to work, the children sort of roamed the building. And she helped sort of foster this um, schoolhouse she called it the Casa dei Bambini, which is the children's house, um, in one area of the building. And um, she worked with the children, and she brought in these materials um, that she'd worked with um, with the children with special needs and sort of saw how the children interacted with them and um, studied and did a lot of observation. Um, and she made all these incredible discoveries about children and their immense capacities for concentration, for self-discipline, for love of of silence, um, for joy, mm-hmm. for social cohesion. And um, she sort of realized that the conditions in which the environment was created sort of allowed for all of these things to naturally emerge. Um, 
So it was really just through science, like scientific observation that she developed this method, and it was based on these children's natural capacities. Um, so it just was really organic the way it sort of came about. Um, and throughout her life, she wound up sort of traveling, and the method spread worldwide, and her books were translated into 20 different languages, and it just became this sort of global thing um, because it was so universal. You know, she continued... Mm -hmm exploring and examining and refining it and uh, refining the materials that she presented to the children and um yeah she just realized that it was the things she discovered there were so true of children in any context any culture any time um and that's sort of how it was born and many of the materials we use today are pretty much exactly what she used then um which i think is really indicative of of its um truth and its impact um mm -hmm. yeah can you speak a little bit to how the Montessori method is is so different from mm. most of the other education mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to speak to like in America or yeah more broadly well a lot of her interest in education was a response to like the rigid um uh, the rigidness of traditional education at that time. And I think a lot of it is still present in our education system, although it's, I think, gotten a little more um, human, I guess I would say. Um, <laughs> but um, it's really focused on fostering a environment um, in which the child can sort of naturally unfold and naturally develop according to their own nature and their own instincts. Um, particularly, particularly a child from three to six, um, possesses these immense capacities for growth and learning and these sort of natural drives and instincts towards certain aspects of learning that fluctuate over time and change direction all the time. So it's sort of about creating an environment where the child is able to pursue his or her own interests, um, which is really what leads to concentration, which is where development really happens. So the mm. method is sort of about um, an environment with these materials, these tools that the child is able to sort of independently choose um, within a structure, of course. It's not like wild chaos, but it's sort of a balance <laughs> of freedom and discipline um, that allows mm -hmm. the child to develop inner discipline through work, purposeful work and concentration and contact with reality in the real world. And um, so the adult's role in that environment is mostly to present the materials to the child present the purpose and um, allow the child to freely choose and then to observe and really try to understand what is going on inside each individual child's brain in terms of their development because it is such a mystery to us um, mm. but we can learn so much from observation and then through observation, we can um, discover what the child needs and what the child is interested in and offer it to them. Oh, you're making me want to do Montessori teaching. <laughs> it's really pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like so much of what you're saying is so important in the context of educating our children. Mm -hmm. And I'm also thinking in the context of even working with adults. Yeah. Like there's so much we can learn about people through observing them. Mm -hmm. um, and regardless of how much of a mystery their actual experience may be to us mm -hmm. and sort we of can really like provide this powerful support mm -hmm. if we commit to paying attention in a certain way yeah and and um you know 
becoming knowledgeable ourselves about what the possibilities might be for them so that we're able mm. to recognize them and support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for sort of honoring um, the individual path. You know, I think everyone's brain works differently. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of yeah. step one to working with people is to acknowledge that <laughs> and have respect for that and sort of figure out how can we work together. And so much mm-hmm. of a part of what she was interested in is not only creating this environment for development, but fostering a sense of community um, mm. and a sense of social cohesion. And, you know, it's it's very important in the method for this, you know, the interrelation of the, the interrelation of the community to be strong and considerate and respectful and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they call it a children's house. Um, Mm. it's for the children, it's their environment. Um, and they really have the power to, to display so much care and love and affection and interest in each other. Um, it's incredible what happens when you empower someone inside their own autonomy and sovereignty. uh, Absolutely. And children really crave that sense of dignity. Like, they want to be mm-hmm. independent. They want to do for themselves. Um, they want to feel dignified. And for us to give them a space where that's possible is is pretty impactful. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm very present right now um, just with everything that's going on in the world to the topics of, like, marginalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, you know, children are marginalized inside traditional education where we don't create space for all these different avenues of learning. You know, when you were talking about the Montessori method and I was thinking about how it contrasts to what I've experienced is um, that the learning I went through in school was always so prescriptive. Mm -hmm. It's like we're going to study X, Y, Z, you know, largely so that you can pass these standardized tests Mm -hmm. and there's not so much emphasis on something that I, some language that I saw on one of the things that you sent me about Montessori around teaching people to think, Mm -hmm. teaching people to problem solve, Mm -hmm. teaching people to navigate through challenging situations as opposed to assuming that everyone's brain works the same and that it's sufficient to treat people that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something sort of suppressive about um, saying to a child, this is what you have to do right now. Because, Mm. I mean, first of all, you're sort of asking them to do something they're not capable of doing, which isn't fair to their developmental process, but also it doesn't really serve them as a person. Um, Montessori really like serves the child in that moment instead of serving the future child. It's not mm-hmm. about, oh, you're going to have to take these tests eventually, so let's prepare you for that now. It's it's about saying, what do you need right now to um, develop best as a person, not as a mm. person who will take a math test, you know? Yeah, um, and it, it's like that deeper question, like, what is the intention mm-hmm. behind the education we're providing? Absolutely, absolutely. And in reality, when you give children that space to develop the capacities to problem solve and think creatively... Um, and make choices, you know, I feel like we never give children the opportunity for choice and for freedom and for independence. And as a consequence, you know, we have adults who are indecisive and can't make decisions and can't think constructively. Um, so really, you know, you're preparing the child, um, for the future by serving the child in the moment. You're teaching them how to be a human, not how to pass a test. Exactly. And in reality, like, I was, it was so funny. I was talking to my mom about 
you know, I had the experience of transitioning from a Montessori environment to a very rigorous college prep sort of middle school and high school. Um, and that transition for me was so seamless. Mm. Like I remember it being so easy, even though I was going from this environment of freedom and independence and development of will and choice to, you know, you have six subjects a day and you're wearing a uniform and you have to write papers and take tests. But I was so prepared just my ability to adapt had been developed so much by the mm. freedom I was given that I was easy. It was easy for me to adapt to that new environment and that new experience, not just academically, but socially and um, creatively. And yeah. So I really, mm. really believe in it. Um, you know, I just think every child should have this opportunity. <laughs> I know. I was, while we were having, okay. Sometimes I forget how to talk. It's okay, <laughs> me too. <laughs> what I was trying to say is, as as you were just speaking, the question that was coming up for me was around the accessibility of this kind of education. Mm-hmm. Um, just is that something you feel comfortable speaking to? Yeah, that you... absolutely. I mean, it is a challenge. Um, I think it's a challenge that most of the Montessori community is aware of and concerned about. I mean, when you look at the origin of the method, it was literally in the slum. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that social aspect was really important to Montessori. And I think it's still important to many Montessorians today. Um, But again, uh, you know, it's a method that is expensive. It's expensive to build a Montessori school. It's expensive to buy the materials. It's expensive to pay the teachers. And it's not really one that's um, accessible to children of a lower income. I know that there are a lot of people working to change that. You know, there's a lot of charter schools and, um, uh, you know, other schools that are working to really support um, lower income communities. And I think that is a huge, huge thing that I hope um, happens more in the future. And I would love to be involved with that in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> it's like, you know, it's funny. I At my training center, there's a, a Montessori museum. Um, it, like, traveled around the world for a while. And then they built it a permanent home. And it shows pictures of Montessori schools all over the world, um, you know, in Europe, in India, in Africa. Um, and you really can do it anywhere, you know, in in Africa, there are images of these like one room schoolhouses that they painted beautiful colors and they've handmade all the materials and all the children go there together. And it's really powerful. And, um, I would just, I'm so inspired by that possibility. I think that, like, inspired by possibility is the theme of this conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to bring us back now mm-hmm. to my question oh, yeah. around your spiritual evolution mm-hmm. and that experience of holding space for fear and discomfort inside mm-hmm. a classroom setting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so spiritual preparation is such a big part of this experience, um, partially because it is such a big leap of faith to work with children because their development is really mysterious and you have to sort of trust the process and trust, you know, I think I said it before, um, like believe in the child that is not there yet. 
Mm-hmm. So it is this sort of everyday commitment to um, no matter how difficult that day is or no matter how challenging that particular child might be in that moment to just trust that intent and trust that possibility for the child. Um, and also just the responsibility of being that adult who's supporting this group of children. You have to um, walk in the door leave everything else behind you have to leave your emotions Mm. behind you have to leave your baggage behind it's not about you at all you have to be so present in that moment and you have to leave any sense of bias or prejudice behind and that takes so much practice um Mm -hmm. just we as humans just carry a lot of that with us and we don't even realize yeah I was about to say we don't even often I mean one of the things about privilege is that you're usually not aware of your own privilege Mm -hmm. You're not aware of your own bias. You're not aware of your own prejudice. Absolutely. Um, because you haven't been made aware and you haven't had to be aware. Of course. And I think that so much of what we're doing through the training course, we've had a lot of opportunities to practice observation because that's sort of kind of the most important part of our job. Um, and it is a practice and it's something you have to exercise and keep working on. And I've um, found that the most interesting part of it is to sort of acknowledge your own prejudice in the moment you know you're watching a child do something and you're taking notes on it and you're considering you're trying to be as unbiased as possible you know to try to take this raw scientific data to understand that child's process better and you have to leave all of your emotions behind and it's such a challenge it's really Mm. I sort of I don't know I I like to think of myself as a very open-minded unjudgmental person but and we all like to think that about yeah, ourselves. I know, right? <laughs> and then in the moment, I'm like, oh my goodness, all these biases mm. and prejudices are coming up that I didn't realize I had. And it's mm. been such a wonderful opportunity to acknowledge them and continue to acknowledge them. And hopefully, through acknowledging them, they will, you know, fade away and I will have more sort of control and focus over that. Um, mm-hmm. So, a lot yeah. of that is about, you know, being an honest, truthful person to yourself um, and, you know, developing the capacity to be patient and not jump to anger and not um, make assumptions. And, you know, it is a practice, but it's such a spiritual practice, I feel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And very emotional yeah, it's process. so deeply self-reflective. Yeah. And we've definitely been, there have been times in the training we've been really called to examine that and delve into it and think about, you know, labels and biases and what ways in our own lives that we've been labeled or labeled other people. And, um, yeah, it's been a really interesting process of Montessori talks about the child unfolding. And I feel like it's sort of that experience of like peeling back your own layers and really getting to the core mm-hmm. of your experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if in the course of the training, you've had any, um, Uh, the language is coming up is like broken open Mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. You've had any moments where, where what you've discovered about yourself is so powerful that it's been, um, you know, sometimes it takes us on a ride. Yeah. I feel like I've had so many that it's hard to really pinpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think in those moments, I haven't always been able to put a word to it or a language to it. Um, I think uh, 
it's called me to acknowledge my fears in a lot of ways, uh, but also to sort of take ownership over my own actions and my own choices and the ways that in my life I've sort of um, not been true to my own beliefs, I think. Mm. I think in a lot of ways it's made me connect more with the parts of myself that I maybe have stifled or resisted and um, in good and bad ways, you know? Um, yeah. I think that, like, it's hard to explain. I'm having trouble putting words to it. <laughs> That's okay. I think that um, I felt like a sort of overwhelming sense of empathy for most of my life and that has been a really hard experience for me and it's part of the reason mm -hmm. I was afraid of working with children because I I just thought I wouldn't be able to sort of emotionally detach enough to get to to handle working with children and and connecting with them so much and then seeing them leave and like dealing mm -hmm. with their challenges and their traumas and their experiences um I was just afraid that I emotionally wasn't strong enough to handle that um and I think sort of this experience has called me to take ownership over that part of myself and appreciate that part of myself and also know that I have control over it. Um, and that I do have the power to sort of direct it and um, let it manifest in ways that are healthy and constructive instead of um, in ways that sort of hinder me or make me feel too um, vulnerable or too um, sort of weak, I guess. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so cool hearing about your experience. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still still figuring it out. But so where are I mean, I know kind of where you are now in this mm. process, but can you tell our listeners please yeah. what's going on for you now? So I've been through a year of sort of uh learning about the the scientific theory behind Montessori, um, writing papers about it, discussing it, and then also learning very detailed presentations on a lot of material. And I've gotten to do observation in classrooms, and I've gotten to student teach with for six weeks in two different environments. Um, I've had written exams where I had to talk about Montessori theory, and then. Uh, right now I'm preparing for my oral exams, which involve um, drawing, randomly drawing certain presentations um, mm. that I'm presenting to a panel of examiners. And then they will sort of administer like a brief oral exam where I talk about the theory behind the material, um, you know, where the child is in their developmental process when they would work with it. And sort of talk about what's next for them and why this material is important and how it supports development. Um, so that's in two weeks. And then, you know, barring any horrible disaster, I will graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So by the time this comes out, you will be, yeah, you will be graduated, will be I'm graduated. sure. Absolutely. And what do next steps look like for you at this point? Well, I just did a student teaching um, at a school in New York and at the end of it they actually offered me a position 
Did I know that? I don't think I don't, you told th- me. I don't think so. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. So, you know, they're still checking references and stuff, but they've they've offered it to me. So hopefully I will have my own classroom come the fall. In New York. In New York. Where your people are. Where all my people are. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels very daunting. Again, I'm terrified and intimidated and <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. like a huge responsibility, but I know that I will have a lot of support. Oh, I'm so glad you just said the word support because that yeah. was going to be my next question is what kind of support have you needed this last year? How have you called mm-hmm. that in for yourself and what have you learned from that process? It's been very interesting. Um, I've had a lot of support. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about um, when I worked in fashion and I have a lot of wonderful friends from that time in my life um, who I love and connect to. Um, but when I came here, I was like, oh, I think I like found my tribe of people because everyone is sort of as like emotional and um, <laughs> just affectionate as I am. And, you know, it's a very like supportive community of Montessorians, which I sort of knew just from the community of people my parents sort of fostered for me as a child. Like I always felt very connected mm. to them. So it was very natural for me um, to experience this immense level of support right away from the people in my course and from my wonderful trainers. Um, it's a really supportive community, um, both personally, emotionally, and intellectually. Um, so I know that I have that to draw in. Absolutely. And my parents have been an immense support because they've been through a similar process and they know me very well. And, you know, I could have gone to train with my mother because she runs the same kind of course that I'm doing. And so many people are like, oh, why don't you train with your mom? But I don't know. Because <laughs> like, that would have brought up all my so stuff. So much. Yeah, too much stuff to deal with. And also, you know, <laughs> she's my mom. I sort of wanted to have her to call and process with. So that's been really mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, and I've had wonderful teachers that I've um, observed or student taught with who have, you know, um, sort of let me know. <laughs> that I'm doing okay, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. like kind of what I need sometimes is someone to say, you're doing a good job. <laughs> it might not feel yeah. like it. It might feel really scary and you're not sure. And that's just part of it. And you're doing okay. But also these are the ways you can improve. So that's been really wonderful. Um, and also just like personally, I've, um, you know, sort of discovered the friends I have who I can talk to you about this stuff because it's a really specific field that not a lot of people connect to you know a lot of my friends Mm. in fashion when I told them I was going to do this they were so supportive and they were all like oh my god that's amazing you're going to be the greatest teacher like of course you should do this and that was wonderful um but it can also still be challenging to share such an intense experience with people who don't really know what's what it is so I found Mm -hmm. that a lot in my personal life that I sort of have to um accept the support and interest that people are willing to give to me and also be patient with that and say, you know, if they're not interested in hearing me talk about brain development in birth to three-year-olds, then that's okay. (laughs) We can Mm -hmm. still have our own, you know, friendship, our own relationship that doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to share everything. So that's been an interesting experience too. I think that's such an important realization. Mm -hmm. I've had such a similar one, you know, moving into the world of spiritual development and personal development it's like 
a lot of people aren't interested in talking about that. And then there's sometimes where you'll have someone's interest and you'll be talking and then you can just see, you can see <laughs> when it happens, the moment their eyes glaze over and you're like, oh, I just lost Yeah, them. it's like a like, word okay. or a phrase or just you talk for too long and they're just gone. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's yeah. so funny though because you really, you can see it happen and then you can decide whether or not to be yeah. activated by that. Totally. <laughs> or whether to say, yeah. all right, that's the limit of our Yeah, that's the limit that. for now. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. an, another day it'll extend, mm-hmm. not today. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because I'm thinking like you're really taking some of the Montessori teaching principles and then applying them in your personal relationships totally. where it's like once you see the person or the child disengage, I'm yeah. sure that's an indication that like, okay, we let this go for the moment. Huge. That's huge. Yeah. I just feel, yeah, I do feel like so much of what I'm learning, I think that's what makes it such a transformative experience is not only you start to think about humanity in the context of that and how we can best serve humanity. But you also just think about, you know, the day-to-day interactions we have with each other and how to sort of honor all experiences and sort of take them for what they're worth Mm -hmm. and just respect all people. She was so, Uh. Montessori was so like globally minded and had this sort of mission of peace and respect. Um, And I think that's really something to, you know, beyond sort of the, education of it just this like global perspective I think is so important Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and especially you know there's real truth that if we want to cultivate the kind of world that I think we want to live in that it really does start with what we teach our children absolutely that's Mm -hmm. so true that's where it begins that's where it begins we internalize so much when we're young Mm -hmm. And those first six years of life are really the foundation for everything else that happens. I have, well, that brings up one more. I'll try to make this my final, (laughs) my final question. It was bubbling up a little earlier and now it's really present. (laughs) Have you been taught how to navigate experiences or have you had any experiences or witnessed any experiences wherein something happens in the classroom that illuminates something that a child has internalized from somewhere else in their life. I'm thinking most likely from their family, from Mm -hmm. their parents, that actually is not really in service of, of the well-being of that child and the well-being of the classroom Mm -hmm. in terms of the beliefs that they've internalized. And like, if, and when that happens, I'm wondering I'm wondering how that's addressed because I know I feel like that's got to be a an interesting line to try to walk as a teacher. Mm-hmm. All right, does that make sense? That does make <laughs> sense. Um, I think that is sort of a huge challenge um, in doing this work because you know you want to know the child in the context of their family and you want to know how to best serve them. With respect to that, um, I think the ultimate goal is to be very connected to the f- parents and the family and you know, form this mutual understanding of, you know, we're all here to serve the child and how can we do that best together? Um, That being said, you know, children can experience trauma in a variety of ways. It can be something as simple as a routine being disrupted or, Mm. um, you know, uh, a parent going on a vi- on a trip and not seeing them for a week can can cause trauma within a child in a variety of ways versus you know something a little more serious um and i think that's part of why it's so important to connect with the child and 
to really know them and to observe them and to note any shifts or changes or challenges they might be experiencing um, and figure out how we can best um, address that and serve that and support that. And sometimes that can be in partnership with a parent and sometimes it can't. Sometimes they will be resistant to that Mm. uh, influence. And I think that's sort of the challenge. I haven't personally encountered too many, um, instances where it felt like the child, um, was being terribly negatively influenced. Um, I think Mm -hmm. most recently I sort of spent some time with a child who, you know, the parent was very concerned about their intellectual growth and had been sort of, um, checking their work and had instilled this sort of fear in the child of being correct Mm. which is not really something we um really enforce or promote it's more about the process than the result and it's that can be difficult for parents to understand um Mm -hmm. and that had you know I could see the fear in that child um and that can be really challenging and I think it's just important to strive to create a really safe space um even if it's in contrast to the child's environment um to sort of say, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's how things are at home, but this is how we do things here. I think that's a huge mm. part of, you know, that community aspect of the environment. Um, you know, we involve the children a lot in care of the environment and care of each other. And, you know, there's a whole area of Montessori that's called practical life that involves sweeping and dusting and washing a table and how to peel and chop vegetables. And, um, you know, it's about participating in this community. And I think um, a lot of children don't have the opportunity to do that at home. So that can be confusing for them. But again, mm. you know, just fostering the sense of this is how we are in this environment that we all share in this community, um, really to give them ownership over it. And so they feel safe and comfortable. I think that's sort of ultimately, and also just to promote their own self-expression, um, to give them space to to express their emotions and to give them the language to do so. Um, we do lessons called grace and courtesy uh, lessons mm. where, you know, you practice apologizing and you practice observing and you <sighs> practice. Um, it's sort of like a little drama where you get a small group of children together and you say, today we're going to talk about how to apologize or how to ask for help or uh. how, you know, and, and they enjoy that practice. They enjoy that sort of dramatic moment of standing up in front of other children and pretending to do something. And then it also gives them the language they didn't know they had. So Mm, I love that so much. Yeah. I'm like, can I rewind my life and please be in the classroom? <laughs> I know. It's so amazing. It's really, really fun. I mean, I've been so present to this topic lately mm. around the fact that so many people are not taught how to be in community. We're not taught how to assume responsibility for our actions. We're not taught how to apologize. Mm. We're not taught how to engage in conflict. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I just want Montessori for all. I know. I know. Me too. (laughs) Maybe someday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something to work towards. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Well, thank you so much for powerfully educating me today about what Montessori is. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I really love talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) You're so welcome. You can come on and talk about it anytime. I definitely want to have... A, like when you start your teaching job I feel like a year after that oh. you have to come on and oh do a gosh. check-in I'm sure I will have so much to say <laughs> I know yeah it's gonna oh. be a challenging but exciting year yeah I'm so excited for you thank you you're welcome <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay. So now I'm going to ask you our kind of little wrap-up questions. Okay. I'm going to invite you again to close your eyes, take a couple deep breaths, and feel into where you were a year ago today, how you were feeling, and then allow your awareness to unfold, to encompass all that's happened in the last year and all the ways you've grown and been challenged and risen to the challenge. And allow yourself to also feel forward into what's next. And whenever you're feeling full of feeling, <laughs> I'd love for you to share with me in one word where you're at right now. I'm very grateful. Mm. I felt as soon as you started talking, I felt overwhelmingly grateful. <laughs> as mm. soon as you said, take a few deep breaths, that was the initial feeling. <laughs> You're like, I got it. You don't yeah, even need to go I on. I just felt it mm. right away. I'm so, so grateful. Yeah. And if you could go back to a year ago today and speak directly to yourself from the human that you are now, what would you say? would say relax <laughs> mm. I would say to let some anxiety go mm. and to be fully present as much as possible such good advice <laughs> I know I'm still telling <laughs> myself that <laughs> yeah I'm I'll like, always I tell, myself, tell that. myself that yeah. all day every I day know, it's the truth. <laughs> relax be present uh -huh. breathe yep well, Lucy, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank you, Tyler. Oh, wonderful. you're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will put, I, I, love, I often say we when I'm just talking about myself. Like We will put all of your information in the show notes um, for anybody who wants to be able to follow you sure. or hear what you're up to or, um, or maybe, maybe you don't want that, in which case we won't put that in the show notes. Sure. But anybody who wants to learn more about Lucy, I can't encourage you enough to do that because the more I get to know this woman, <laughs> the more I am amazed. That feeling is very mutual. <laughs> oh, thank you. So nice. <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything, Lucy, that you would like to say to our listeners before we sign off? Um, I don't know. I would just say um, I appreciate you listening and having an open mind and I would encourage everyone to consider the possibility um, in each child and their amazing potential. Mm. I guess that's, that's mm. all I would have to say. <laughs> that's what I want for Perfect. the world. All right. Well, on that note, bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>